Praise God. Yes. How is everyone doing tonight? Beautiful. All right. So first of all, Pastor Chris and his wife, the Fries, we love you guys. Thank you all so much. My brother, I, I just want to say this. You have the most beautiful beard. <laughs> I talk about your beard throughout the year. I'm, this is true. And I, I'm, I'm, one day I'm waiting for you to have your backpack and pull out a shield and a sword. You look like you were built for like some gladiator era or some, t some epic battle type of... I know, you know, God has you here in this era, but I, I think you're a throwback to the warrior times. So I, I love you and I appreciate you. Amen. Praise God. I want to acknowledge my beautiful wife. This is Elizabeth Garcia Smith. Amen. This is my wife. Uh, she is Puerto Rican. She is from Brooklyn, New York City. She is a, she is, listen, if you mess with me, she will cut you. She will hurt you. I always tell people if I ever uh, go into a street fight and I have one person to pick, I want my wife because she's going to fight to the death. Either she's going to die or they're going to die, but somebody is not going to make it out of that fight. So I thank God for uh, Pastor Letitia. Nola girl, amen. We've known her since I think she was eight years old when you guys, her and her brother and her family, came to our church in New Orleans. Uh, they got saved in our church and our ministry. The first Sunday that my wife and I became the pastors of the church at House of Prayer Church in New Orleans, your brother was the first convert. Literally, the first Sunday that we preached as the pastors, he was the first person that answered the altar call. Um, and little did we know this knucklehead kid that was flunking out of high school would one day be a man of God and a minister. Amen. And then Pastor Letitia, she is, uh, she's been a part of our lives. We love her. We thank God for you. Amen. So let me pray. Let me tell you a story. Let me preach. And then we're going to minister to you here at the altar if you can stay and if you have to go. God bless you. We love you. It's all good. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Father, we just thank you and we praise you in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ. We come before you right now believing that you're going to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask, think, or imagine. Father, I pray, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open up the eyes of our understanding that we might know you more, Lord. I pray for heaven's grace. I pray for open heavens to be over this, this property, Lord God, that there would be a portal of heaven where there can be a transference of what's happening in heaven here to the earth, Lord, because you said, let thy kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're believing that earth here in Eunice, here at New Hope Fellowship, they are going to experience, the people here and those who are watching online are going to experience the power and the move of God manifested from heaven to earth. So we love you, we honor you, and we thank you in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody say it. Amen and amen. So before I start preaching, I have to tell you a quick story about God answering prayer. Look at someone next to you and say, God answers prayer. But you have to be specific. Say that part, but you have to be specific. 
right? Because if you, if you throw a general prayer out, then God's going to answer you in a general way. But if you answer, ask God something specifically, then he's going to specifically answer you, right? So last year, we had the privilege to go to Kenya, Africa and preach the gospel. But before we went, I told everybody at House of Prayer Church, I said, listen to me. I said, there are two things that have to happen when we go to Kenya. Number one, Many souls have to be saved. Many, many people have to come to the Lord and experience God. They're like, yeah, pastor, we got your back. We're going to pray. I said, good. I said, the second thing is that I need to see as many animals that's been on National Geographic or, or those channels. I need to see as many as possible except, except, <laughs> what's these bad guys from the Lion King? The hyenas. I said, I don't want to see any hyenas. So we go, we went to this place called Loida Hills. It was phenomenal. For five days, we lived in a tent. No electricity, no running water. We were on the top of the mountain. It was the most savage thing that we've ever done in our lives. But it was absolutely awesome. And every day, they would send us out to preach the gospel literally to these villages. And we were seeing entire villages of people getting saved. The, the village chief, the fathers, the wives, the children, the families. It was awesome. And then night, we would come back. We'd have a fire. Um, we would, they would roast stuff over the fire. They would cook for us. It was awesome. But one of those nights, and Pastor Chris, I believe that I'm a man's man. I mean, at least I thought I was until I went to, to Kenya. So we went, and there was no bathroom facility, so we had literally, we had to dig holes in the ground, and you had to walk outside of the camp to go to the bathroom. I mean, we literally were in the bush, like, like we were really in the bush. So at 2 o'clock in the morning, my bladder said, hey, John, I need you to go to the bush and, like, relieve me right now. And I said, Blather, what's wrong with you? It's 2 o'clock in the morning. We're in the middle of nowhere. Why do you want? He said, look, I'm going to either, you either go or I'm going to go. Which one do you want? I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go. I got you. Cool. No problem. So I get up. I get ready to go to the little bathroom area, and all of a sudden, they had an overnight guard that watched all night. He stayed up. He did not sleep. He stayed with the fire. He had a, a real sword. And he said, I'm going to escort you to the bathroom. And in my head, I said to myself, I said, I'm a fully grown man. I don't need someone to go with me to the bathroom. I can do that all by myself. Then all of a sudden, I heard the noise that I had never heard before. And it was this noise, this weird yelping noise. And I looked at the, the guard and I said, listen, I said, what's like, what is that? <laughs> that doesn't sound like a dog in South Louisiana. I'm not sure what. He said, well, that's a hyena. I said, oh, uh-huh. I said, you know what? Would you mind escorting me to the bathroom? <laughs> right? But see, but it was on the other side of the camp. So even though it was in the area we were in, it wasn't right by our tent because our tent was in like a big square. So all of a sudden, I go to the bathroom, I, you know, I do my little thing, and then I come back to my tent, and all of a sudden, the noise moved from the opposite side of the camp to right behind our tent. Now, I must confess, my manhood was challenged. <laughs> I started having visions, true story, I started having visions of hyenas jumping through the tent 
because the only thing that's stopping them from getting to us is a piece of plastic. I mean, this. And by the time the guard would have made it over from the fire to our tent, I'm already chewed up by the hyena. Y'all saw Lion King. You know what they do, you know. And I started having these visions. I said, Lord, I want to die in Africa on top of a mountain, getting eaten by a hyena in the middle of nowhere. This is not how I want to die, Jesus. And he said, son, shut up. Go to sleep. (laughs) This literally, the Lord says, shut up. Go to sleep. The hyena's not going to get you. I said, all right, Lord. And then I literally, I went to sleep, and and I woke up the next morning. The hyena didn't eat me. (laughs) Thank God. You know, I'm grateful. But I was a little bit upset because I said, Lord, I said, I prayed for two things, to save as many souls as possible. And I said, I didn't want to see any hyenas. He said, that's right, John. You said, I don't want to see any hyenas. You never said, I don't want to hear any hyenas. I said, wow. I said, okay, I need to be more specific with my prayer. So with that being said, I want to say to you, as you've been praying for these 21 days of fasting and prayer, and you've been seeking God, and as you continue to seek God throughout 2022, make sure that you are specific in the type of prayers that you ask of the Lord because God is going to respond to you, but he's going to respond to you, number one, according to your faith, but number two, according to your petition. So don't be surprised when God gives you exactly what you ask for. And don't be surprised if he doesn't give you what you don't ask for. Amen? Praise God. That was for free. Look at their neighbor and say, that was a freebie. You didn't even have to pay for that one. That was... That wasn't even in the budget. All right, let's get to the word of God. Committed to the cause. Look at someone next to you and say, are you committed to the cause? cause? Tonight here at Momentum Conference, I want to talk to you about the momentum of being committed to the cause of Christ. And I really want to get into your business, make you a little bit uncomfortable, maybe even get you a little bit upset with me by telling you what the cause of Christ looks like because I believe many times we make what we think God is calling us to do according to how we feel about the situation. But we have to understand that we do not live in a a spiritual democracy. We live in a theocracy. That means that God is the king. He is the supreme ruler and he is the central focus of the theocracy. And if we are living in a theocracy, I'm talking about the kingdom of God is a theocracy, then that means that he makes the rules, the regulations, and the laws that govern how we live and how we should conduct our lives. And I want to talk to you about being committed to the cause of being a disciple for Christ. Look at someone next to you and say, we are called to be God's disciples. If you got your Bibles or you're looking at the screen, we're going to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. I want to talk to you about being committed to the cause and being his disciple. It says this, and Jesus said to his disciples, if any one of you want to be my follower, you must first take up your own way, take up your cross. You must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. He said, and if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you try to hang on to your ways, you will lose it. He said, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And he said, do you 
benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? I want to give you a definition of being a disciple, a biblical definition of a disciple. A disciple is derived from this Greek word called Matthias, and it means to be a pupil, a student, or an apprentice. To be a pupil, a student, or an apprentice. That means that the teacher had students or pupils that followed him, or a master craftsman had an apprentice that learned and followed what he taught them so that they one day could become master craftsmen. A disciple was one who dedicated themselves, their lives, their energies, their resources, their studies to live according to the philosophy of the master. So when I talk to you about being committed to the cause, I'm talking to you about what does Jesus call true biblical discipleship. Jesus didn't say go and make church members. He didn't say go and make the assemblies of God great. He said go and make disciples. Go and make followers of Jesus Christ for the kingdom of God because when people are committed to the cause, they will be willing to lay down their life for what truly matters to them. I've heard someone say, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. You have to know that the kingdom of God is the most valuable and precious resource that you have access to here on earth because your king is a supreme ruler and he does not have to yield and bow down to the devil, to sickness, to disease, to infirmities, to our shortcomings. He has power and authority over all of those things. But the awesome thing about the God that we serve is he gives us the grace to step in and be participants in his kingdom and he empowers us with the same grace and the same ability and the same anointings that he carries he said I'm going to entrust these things to you and I'm going to send you forth to go and make disciples Before we went out to Loida Hills and to Kenya, to southern Kenya and, and northern Tanzania and went to those villages, they equipped us. They told us, this is what you have to expect. These are the things you're going to run into. Here, we're going to give you an interpreter that speaks the language of the people in the villages, and they're going to help you to understand the cultural dynamics that you are going to face. They equipped us to do the job so that we can win souls. And if man has the ability to equip us to be successful and what we do, how much more does the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords have the ability and the capacity to equip us to make a difference in the earth? You're not just living to exist. You're not just walking through earth just to exist. He has empowered you to make a difference. He's anointed you to make a difference, and he's called you to go and make disciples. And I want to tell you, about five or six things why sometimes Christianity doesn't work. Uh Have you ever gone to Best Buy or Walmart and bought the electronic and you brought it home, you hooked it up and it didn't work and you were like, man, this is a piece of junk. I wasted my money. And I feel like some people feel the same way about Christianity because they said, I tried the Jesus thing and it didn't work. There's not a problem with the Jesus thing. It's a a user error. And sometimes we don't know how the instructions have instructed us to walk this thing out. And we say it doesn't work. God doesn't have a problem with his kingdom. He has a problem with his children understanding how he operates. Mm. 
Come on now. So I'm going to give you five reasons of why people struggle to live an effective Christian life. Number one, people struggle to live an effective Christian life because they are not true disciples of Christ. They're not real disciples. They're messing around playing games. Look at somebody and say, are you playing games? <laughs> are you playing games? Believing is only one part of being a disciple. But it's not the complete picture. The other side of being a disciple is understanding that you are called to put action to what you believe. James 2, 18 and 19 in the God word version of the Bible says, Another might say, you have faith, but I do good things. Show me your, your faith apart from the good things you do, and I'll show you my faith by the good things that I do. Or I will show you my faith by the actions that I take. He said, you believe that there is one God. That's fine. He said, the demons also believe that. Ooh. And they tremble with fear. It's not just enough to say, I believe. You have to go next level and say, I'm going to put actions to what I believe. So the reason that people struggle to live an effective Christian life is because they're not putting actions to what they profess they believe. We have this, uh, well, I'm better. I'm better now, Pastor. I'm much better. I used to be really bad about this. I'm a diehard Saints fan. I used to be, if you came into my house, with a jersey from another team, I might have cut you. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying. And I really did have a rule during the season. If you came to my house and you did not have a Saints jersey or T-shirt on, I would let you use one the first time you came to the house. Baby, am I telling the truth? I'm telling the truth. We had two students from Tulane University, exchange students from China, they came to our house. I gave them two Drew Brees jerseys. I said, listen, the first time you borrow this, you get in. The next time you never come back to my house unless you buy some Saints gear. <laughs> See, you have to put actions to what you believe. Some people talk about what they believe. Some people put actions to what they believe. Number two, people struggle to live an effective Christian life because they are trying to hold on to the life that Jesus delivered them from. Oh, Jesus has plucked you out of the pit of hell. He pulled you out of death, danger, destruction, things that are harmful. And we are so crazy that we literally try to go back to the old way of life like it's changed and that the negative effects of it won't impact us the way that it did before. And the reason why it doesn't work, because we're trying to move forward, but then always looking back in the opposite direction. You can't drive a car looking at the rearview mirror. Mm. Matthew 16, 25 says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Stop trying to hold on to something that is killing you. Stop trying to hold on to something that is destructive and useless and no good. I tell people, God didn't deliver me from drugs and alcohol. God delivered me from me because I was the most destructive force in my life. And one day my eyes were open. I said, Lord, I'm doing a terrible job of running my life. He said, I totally agree with you. <laughs> 
said, so will you try it my way? And when I started doing it his way, I said, oh, my God, this is so much better. He said, great. I'm glad that we're in agreement. Now don't go back. Mm. The Life Application New Testament Commentary says, the Christian life is a paradox. To attempt to keep your life means that you lose it. And a person who saves his or her life in order to satisfy desires and goals apart from God ultimately lose their life. Not only does the person lose eternal life, but they also lose the fullness of earthly life promised to those who believe. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. He died. He came to give you an abundant life. That doesn't, he didn't say I came to give you a perfect life. He didn't say I was going to give you a life without difficulties or hardship. But he said I came to give you a life that is overflowing and abundant. God wants to make your life better, not just for your sake, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. But you got to be committed to the cause. Amen. Young people, don't waste your teenage years going through the motions of Christianity only to get to your 20s and then go to college and lose your mind. Why waste the time? Get serious, handle your business now, and make your life fruitful. Let God bless your life and cause you to become phenomenal in the earth. And older adults, don't look back with the regrets of the mistakes and errors you made. God knows you messed up, and you know you messed up. Now's the time to repent. Say, Lord, give me clean hands and a pure heart, and let me just move forward. Fresh start from today, amen? amen? Number three, people struggle to live an effective Christian life because they don't understand what Jesus considered a disciple to be. Jesus only considered you to be a disciple if you were fully committed to his cause. Amen. There was no such thing as a part-time Christian. Mm. <laughs> What's that? I don't know if it's a Capital One commercial or one of those commercials that uh, Tracy Morgan, the comedian, did. And, and it was, everything was like halfway. If you do something halfway, if you do something halfway... I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> and we try to do the pretty sure, I'm pretty sure if I kind of serve Jesus, it's going to turn out okay. He didn't, he didn't kind of die for you. He didn't kind of sacrifice for you. He didn't kind of lay down. He went all the way in. Fully committed. He said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. If I got to drink this bitter cup, so be it. But because I am fully committed to finish the race, because I'm fully committed to the cause. Matthew 16, 21 says this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. But Peter, because he thought he knew more than Jesus, he thought that he was smarter than Jesus. Listen, they got a lot of Peter in many of us because many of us think that we know better than God and we could fix Jesus. You don't know what you're talking about. Let me fix you right quick. 
Yeah, I said right quick on purpose. Let me fix you right quick because you don't really know what you're doing. But because he thought he knew better than Jesus. On verse 22, it says, Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and said, Far be it from you, Lord, that this should happen to you. And Jesus turned at Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, because you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. See, that's what happens when we try to flip the script and do it our way, but not do it God's way. Listen, anytime that I, this is a, 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 a MacBook right here. Anytime that I want to find out how to use this computer, I go to Apple's website or I go to websites dedicated to teaching me how to use the product based upon the user, the, the, the person that created the instrument. I don't go to Microsoft to ask them how to use Apple stuff. I don't go to Google to ask them how to use Apple stuff. I go to Apple to say, how do you do this on this computer? Why do we try to go to other avenues to find out how to live for Jesus and wonder why they fail and they don't work out and why we feel so frustrated? Pastor, I want to submit to you that people are going everywhere but the book, but the word of God, trying to figure out how to live for God and wondering why they're so frustrated. <laughs> I haven't read the Bible in a month, but I, I'm sure I got this Christian thing figured out. Come, look at somebody say, come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> Peter heard suffering, death, and resurrection. But two of the three did not line up with Peter's agenda, and he rebuked Jesus for being willing to do his father's assignment. Peter was coming against the will of God for Jesus' life because he was stuck on what he thought was the right thing instead of finding out what Jesus thought was the right thing. Oh, that was deep right there. He was stuck on what he thought was the right thing instead of finding out what Jesus said was the right thing. Y'all are from this beautiful metropolis of Eunice, Louisiana. <laughs> the, the, the metroplex of South Central Louisiana. Listen, if you came to New Orleans, I would not come to you and ask you where are the best food places. You need to come to me and find out how your soul can get blessed by that good New Orleans cuisine. Amen? Why do we not go to Jesus and say, Jesus, how can I live for you and have an abundant life so that I don't live a frustrated Christianity? Amen? All right. Number four, people struggle to live an effective Christian life. What's my time? Because they worship their families more than they worship the Lord. Oh, oh, I'm going to watch out because I might get stoned or somebody going to throw a brick or a rock or a high heel at me. I don't know, a tennis shoe. <laughs> The definition of worship is a reverent love or devotion according to a deity, an idol, or a sacred object. It means to honor and love as a deity. God created the family, and he values family. He wants us to love, honor, value, and take care of our families. But he doesn't want us to worship our families and place them above the Lord. 
that's the reason why the story of Abraham and Isaac is so significant because for 25 years, Abraham waited for this promised son and God finally fulfills and gives him the promise. But God says, Abraham, I have to know that you love me more than you love the answer to your prayers. Yeah, you waited. Yeah, you were patient. Yeah, you believed by faith. But I need to know that you love me more than you love your son. And he said, go and take your son and sacrifice him to me. And the Bible says the next morning, Abraham got up, rose up early, took his servants and his son, and he went off to do what God asked him to do. Now, because thank God we know the story, but Abraham didn't know the story. He was living the story. The story says that when he got to the place to where he was going to sacrifice his son, the angel of the Lord says, stop, don't do it. God was just testing you to see if your heart was fully committed to him. See, sometimes God doesn't give us what we want because we don't have a fully committed heart. Oh, See, we keep putting stuff ahead and above God and wonder why God ain't answering our prayers. God, I prayed about this for 10 years. You ain't faithful. You ain't answering. God says, no, I was ready to answer in year one, but I know that you would have idolized and worshipped the answer, and you would have backslid and turned away from me because you love that thing more than you love me. God says, if I can get all of your heart, I don't mind giving you all of heaven's overflow and increase. Come on, somebody. God wanted to bless Abraham with a nation that was more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. But he needed to make sure that there was a heart that was fully, totally, completely committed to him. Amen. Come on. 2022. Can God find some people that love him more than they love their stuff? We love our pickup trucks and our boats more than we love God. We'll go out and go, go fishing for five hours, but won't spend five minutes with Jesus. And you wonder, come on, man. I'm sorry for telling you the truth, but I, I, I didn't drive three hours to come and lie to you. <laughs> we love stuff more than God and wonder why this thing isn't working. Because we're not fully committed. Hmm. Matthew 10, 37 and 38 says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Ooh. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. God wants you to love your family. He wants you to honor your parents. He wants you to take care of your kids. He wants you to be responsible, but he does not want you to idolize and worship them over and above him. God loves your family more than you do, and he wants to save them greater than you desire, but you got to get your stuff in order. Amen? Number five and the final one. People struggle to live an effective Christian life because they want to be a disciple of Christ on their own terms. You think that the kingdom of God is like Burger King. You can have it your way. Can I tell you a secret about Burger King? Burger King really isn't that good. 
they tell you have your I mean for real was, have you gone to a Burger King in the last couple of years that food is terrible I remember Burger King back when I was a teenager it was really good Burger King sucks today they tried to come up with a whopperito. They tried to take a whopper, cut it up in pieces, put it in the flour, and turn it into a burrito. You know how terrible of an idea it is? Your name is Burger King. It's not Taco Bell. Why are you trying to make a burrito? <laughs> but you can have it your way. And then they came out with the hot dogs. What in the world are you doing making hot dogs, Burger King? That was morally and ethically wrong. They're called Burger King, not Hot Dog Hut. They wonder why they're going to be going out of business in the next couple of years. Because they're trying to do things on their own terms. And when we try to do Christianity on our own terms, we, we're Burger King trying to make hot dogs and we wonder why nobody wants to come and buy our garbage food. <laughs> or why nobody wants to be a part of our garbage Christianity. Oh, oh, Jesus. I'm sorry. I know I heard somebody feel this. I'm sorry. I'll repent after service. Luke 9:57 says this. It says, as they were walking along, someone says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus re replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. And he, another person said, come. Jesus said, come and follow me. And the man agreed, but he said, first, let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord, yes, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. The New American Commentary says, sometimes God calls would-be disciples literally to sell all but they must always abandon anything that would stand in the way of wholehearted allegiance to Christ and the priorities of the kingdom. Jesus had no problem with people burying their dead family members or taking care or saying goodbye, but those were excuses that people gave to not do what he was telling them to do because they wanted to serve Jesus their way. I'm gonna do it my way, Jesus. Peter tried to do it his way, and how did it work out for him? Jesus called him Satan and rebuked him. It's time for us to say, Jesus, I'm going to do this Christian thing the way that you said to do it. Listen, I've been serving God. I gave my heart to Christ when I was 19 years old. I'm 44 years old today. Don't be fooled. I, I shaved this. I just cleaned it up. That's the reason why I look like I'm 22. <laughs> Praise God. But I was 19 when I gave my heart to the Lord. And the only regret that I had is that I did not give my heart to him before. I said, man, all this suffering and death and destruction that's been surrounding me my whole life could have been gone if I had just surrendered sooner. I really feel like today there are five levels of commitment that the Lord is asking 
are there five levels of commitment. Number one is an ideal. An ideal is when we perceive an issue by the way we think. This involves our mind. The second is opinions. We begin to express our preferences on that issue. That involves our emotions. The third is beliefs. We conclude that we stand on the issue. This involves mind and emotions. And then we get to commitment. This is when we begin to act on our beliefs. This involves our mind, our emotions, and our will. But Jesus is trying to get us to a place where we are walking in conviction. A conviction is when we are ready to die for a commitment. It is now a passion for our lives. Jesus is looking for committed followers who have conviction that says, I love you more than anything else. I love you more than my, <laughs> come on then, dear honey. Come on now. I love you more than fishing. I love you more than watching reality shows. I love you more than Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Snapchat. I love you more than trying to look cute. Ladies, listen, I know when y'all do that thing with the angle up here. I'm, I'm telling you secret, you're hiding stuff. You don't want them to see everything. Come on, they know it's the secret's out. The secret's out. Angle. Listen, God's trying to deliver us from the image and bring us into a place of reality. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm praying that here in Eunice, Louisiana, that there would be a group of fully committed, totally dedicated men and women of God. I pray that there would be young people that says, Lord, here I am, send me the same way that Isaiah said, here I am, send me. I pray that there would be adults that would say, we are going to start a generation and have a lineage in our family of people who are totally committed to Christ. We're no longer going to have generational alcoholism a generational divorce but now we're going to have generational blessings of men and women who serve God in our family and we'll be known for being committed followers of Christ we're not perfect people but we are committed people and we have a conviction that we're not going to turn away from no matter how hard or how difficult things get God I pray in the name of Jesus that you would begin to do a work in the hearts of your people in the name that's above every name.